2023, congratulations to those who made it to midnight last night to ring in the new year, and congratulations to those who are wise enough to go ahead and go to bed early. 2023, isn't it crazy? Uh, new Year's Eve really doesn't mean much to me anymore. I mean, it's fun to get with family and friends and do all the things that you do on New Year's. Last night, we went out to a new restaurant, uh, had some friends over, played some games, uh, watched a movie, and then watched the ball drop for a second time, and then uh, rang in the new year, everybody left and went to bed. Um, but if you are old enough to remember 2000, nothing rivals New Year's Eve of 1999 because the world was going to shut down at midnight when it turned to 2000. So everybody in here, I see a lot of, of, of smirks and grins because you remember that. Um, we actually thought the world was going to shut down because the calendars, the computer clocks and all that wouldn't know what to do when it turned to 2000. So an anticipated New Year's Eve on 1999 for those that were alive and knew what was happening. I remember being in uh, my past church's uh, gym. The whole church was there. We played games. We had all the fun and everything. And then it got to like 1155 and then you could just feel the tension start easing in. And you're like, oh man, what's going to happen? You know, planes were going to fall out of the sky. I mean, it was going to be terrible. And we sat there and 12 o'clock hit and nothing happened. So as opposed to that, all the rest of the New Year's, it's a piece of cake. It's really no big deal. No big deal at all. Of course, we just finished Christmas, which is crazy. We celebrated Christmas on a Sunday morning, and then now we're celebrating the new year on Sunday morning again, so it's pretty exciting. Uh, Christmas, man, it's been a, a really long three weeks of Christmas. I don't know how many else feel like that. Um, lots of family, friends, lots of great gifts. My friend Noah here rocking a brand new Hawaiian shirt. He paid me 10 bucks to say that. I'll collect afterwards. Um, lots of great gifts, lots of family, friends, the crazy schedule. Some who still have the grandparents alive. You've been to like seven Christmases over the last three weeks. Uh, lots of baking was done at my house. Uh, we did a lot of baking and we did a lot of movie watching. A lot of great Christmas movies over the last three weeks. Unless you watch the Hallmark Channel, then it was the last six months because they started in July. Um, lots of great Christmas movies, but my favorite Christmas movie is Home Alone. I don't know how many have seen that. It's great. There's chaos of the family all getting together, everybody coming to one house, everything going nuts because the next morning they were leaving to go to Paris. The power goes out overnight. Everyone wakes up late. So then chaos ensues and in the rush of uh, getting out of town and getting to the airport and running late, there's a miscount and the son Kevin gets left home alone. Now, of course, Kevin goes on to have an adventure with the wet bandits, and then uh, at the end, everyone has a happy ending. This morning, we are going to look at a passage that I believe that the writers of Home Alone read in Luke chapter 2 to get the idea of their story of Kevin being left. So if you want to take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to uh, begin in verse 41 here in just a second. Last week, Will preached from Isaiah chapter 9 of the prophecy of the coming Messiah, which points to Luke chapter 2, where we have the Christmas story and the fulfillment of that prophecy. So it only seemed right that on back-to-back -back Sundays, where we're celebrating Christmas on Sunday and New Year's on Sunday, that we pick up right after the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to pick up when after he goes home. Now, some context of this passage, the Bible does not have much to say about Jesus' youthful years. 
Other than the wise men coming a little bit late, I know, blow your mind, they're not at the nativity, but the wise men coming and visiting Jesus, this is the only biblical recorded incident of the youthful years of Jesus. This is also the first time that you will find red letters in your Bible and that we hear Jesus speak in verse 49. And it's the last time we have mention of Jesus' father, Joseph. Because in this passage, it's going to say parents, plural, so we're talking about Mary and Joseph. So this means that somewhere between this moment in time when Jesus is 12 years old and when he begins his ministry, Joseph, his father, dies. Add all this up, it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of an important passage. So we're going to look at that. We've just finished Baby Jesus being born, the manger, the angels, the shepherds. Baby Jesus is circumcised and then dedicated in the temple. Then the family returns to Nazareth. And in verse 40, it says, Jesus grows strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was upon him. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was traveling in the party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. This morning, I want to look at three main points out of this passage. I want to look at first, the missing son, second, the messianic son, and third, the misunderstood son. So let's talk about this missing son. The first sentence sets up this passage and tells us who is involved and what is happening. It talks about the parents and the Passover, and then it flows in to just, you know, happens to be another P, the problem, okay? So we have the parents, the Passover, and the problem. Now, the parents are two really good parents and one perfect son. It sounds like the beginning of a great sitcom, maybe, right? You know, uh, two parents and a perfect son. Uh, They love God, and they follow his will. Deuteronomy 16 tells of how to observe the Passover, so it tells them that they have to go to Jerusalem to observe the law. They are obedient in going every year. They take Jesus with them to show him, to instruct him, to model how to observe the Passover. And this is also a great picture of the importance of bringing your kids to church. Kids may not always be with you, but it does give them a spiritual base and foundation to come back to. It also shows us they're really good parents because they stayed the entire week. In verse 43, it says, until the days were completed, uh, after these days were over, So they did not leave early. They were not casual worshipers. We also kind of know they were good parents because this whole thing about Jesus being born and the angel showing up to Mary and showing up to Joseph. Out of all the world and all the parents, all the the potential parents, these two were picked, handpicked by God. So they're two pretty good parents. 
But then we get to the Passover festival. Now, this Passover festival is the first of three seasons. You have Passover, you have Pentecost, and then you have the tabernacles. And adult Jewish males are expected to take their families to Jerusalem for these festivals. Jesus is 12 years old at this time, so this is his last Passover before adulthood. Um, At 13, you might know the term bar mitzvah. This was a celebration of boys turning into men at age 13 in the Jewish tradition. So Jesus is 12 years old at this time, so this is his last time to go as a Passover before adulthood. And the Passover, of course, is a celebration, a memorial uh, of the Hebrews' deliverance from Egypt and the angel of death. Uh, event that's found in Exodus chapter 12. So we have these really good parents. They're taking their family, which consists of Jesus. They're traveling to Jerusalem, in which they're going to stay for a full week. This Passover takes a full week. They're honoring the traditions uh, of the memorial and the deliverance of the Hebrews, uh, the Israelites from Egypt. But then we have a problem. In verse 43, it says that Jesus intentionally stays in Jerusalem. The boy stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, the parents, of course, assume he is with the traveling parter. And that word assume is in verse 44. Because it was customary to travel in larger groups, maybe everybody didn't check in. Maybe it was like Kevin to where the neighborhood boy in in Home Alone was coming over and going through all everybody's luggage and stuff like that. And the sister sees the back of the head and just counts the head. And they count Kevin, so they think they have everybody when they take off to the airport and before they leave in Home Alone. Maybe that's what happened here with the traveling party. You know, one of the other uh, Jewish boys were there with the family, and he actually gets counted, so Jesus is counted. We don't know, but the parents assume that he is with the traveling party. Um, They've already done this 11 times, so it's kind of tradition. Everybody kind of knows their role. Everybody kind of knows what to do as Jesus turns two, three, four, five, six. As he gets older, it's just like anything else. He knows what to do. He knows where to go. He knows how to get there, everything else, because he's done this 11 times before already for the Passover, not to mention Pentecost and the tabernacle. But they've never had this problem before that we know of. This is the only time it is mentioned. But this word, assume, What does it actually mean? Assume means to perceive to be true even if you don't have all of the information. How many times do we assume everything, right? Especially if you're on social media. There's a lot of assumption going on there. Social media, the king of assume. But this is what's happening. The parents are assuming. They're perceiving it to be true that Jesus is with them even though they don't have all the information. They haven't seen his face. They assume he's with them because he's always with them. He's an obedient child. He's a perfect child. He does everything the parents want. So they assume that Jesus is with them as they load up the caravan as they start going back to Nazareth from Jerusalem. But he did not. He stayed. The problem is that Jesus is not with them. Now, every parent knows this fear, right? Um, If not with your child, with a pet or something, or you're in a department store or a theme park or maybe just in your own house or something like that, and you can't find your child, right? And you're like, where are they at? You start looking, and you go around the rack of clothes, and you see if the child is there, and they're not there. And you start looking around more, and then you start saying their name, Casey, Casey. Casey, where are you? And you hear nothing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this well of anxiousness just starts building up inside of you. Now, 
For our student section over here, just think of it like if you lost your little pet, your dog, and your dog wasn't there, and you go outside and you start yelling, Sparky, Sparky, and the dog's not there, and you start, that, that whole well of anticipation, that whole well of anxiousness comes up, and this is what happens to Mary and Joseph when they realize that Jesus is not with them. Become terrified, and we start thinking of the worst case scenarios, right? We start thinking of the worst case scenarios. I had a dog named TJ good dog, knew where the house was, if he got out or if we left the gate open or whatever, and he got out, he always came back home. And one day I noticed he's gone, and I can't find him. Now, if you love your dog as much as we love our dogs, this was a big deal. Throughout the whole night, the evening, we're looking, I'm driving everywhere, and I get to Georgia, the busy street, I'm like, surely the dog did not cross Georgia, because it's a really busy street. So I keep on this side of Georgia, I look everywhere. Well, the next morning, I get a call because we had, you know, the tag. Um, they obviously didn't have a tag on Jesus that said, call Mary if lost. You know. <laughs> they didn't have that. But we did on, on TJ, and someone called, and he was like two miles away, and he just wandered. It had stormed all night. I was worried about my dog. I didn't sleep, all the things. Um, the reason why I say about my dog is because I don't think I remember losing my children. Um, Jamie may, but I don't remember losing my children, but I do remember losing my dog and how anxious I was. And then when I see my dog, I want to go up and go, you know, I want to just like, you did this to me. You made me feel this way. But instead, you grab him and you hold him, and you're so happy, and you will rub him and love him and pet him and squeeze him, all the things. We know that these are good parents, as we outlined earlier, but also because God handpicked them. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, over 12 years of being Jesus' parents, maybe it just became normal that Jesus was just a regular boy and son. Maybe after 12 years, they started taking it for granted of how he was born, the miraculous birth, and that he is still with him, and he's doing all the regular little boy things. You know, as he's growing old, his head's too big for his body, and he's learning how to walk, and he's doing this everywhere. Uh, maybe he's tripping and falling and cutting his knee, and he goes in and gets a Band-Aid from his mom. All the things that a little boy does, Jesus does as he grows up. How can a mom and dad not treat him as a regular son, but at the same time knowing that he's a son of God. Maybe, maybe they started taking it for granted. Did an angel visit them regularly every year just to check in, maybe? I don't, we don't know. It doesn't say. Did they really think, at the same time, when Jesus is missing, did they really think that something was going to happen to Jesus? I mean, think about that, right? But, but no, they didn't, because as we progress in the passage, it tells us that they were anxious that Jesus was missing, they were anxious that Jesus was missing. Did they really think something was going to happen to Jesus? Or did they really think that Jesus was going to do anything wrong? I mean, he's not going out and doing anything wrong or anything like that. Uh, but he is gone. Can you imagine the thoughts running through Mary and Joseph's head as they have to go up and say, Hey, God, um, <laughs> so we lost your son. <laughs> I don't know what played out. I don't know what was going through their mind. But I imagine that they were terrified. Just like any of us would if we misplaced or lost our children. But like a good parent, of course, because we know they are good parents, they go back and start looking for Jesus. It says that they searched for three days. Now, there's two different thoughts on this. One, that they traveled for a day before they realized Jesus was gone. Okay, Then a day back, that's two days, and then they spent a day searching for Jesus. 
The other thought is that, no, this is three days. Like they, they hoofed it back, they got back, and then for three days in the city of Jerusalem, they searched for Jesus. Either way, does it, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Fear has set in on the parents. My good friend Debbie Jackson gave me an acronym for fear. Uh, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Think about that. Isn't that true whenever we fear something? False evidence appearing real. They had fear. They had forgot that he was God's son. And that probably nothing was going to happen to him. But he's not their son. He's God's son. He's the messianic son. So let's talk about the messianic son, what that means. So as we go on in the passage, they find him sitting among the teachers. Does anybody else not find this really weird? Jesus sitting with teachers who are teaching him about himself, right? I mean, like, tell me what you think about me. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do later? What have I done already? I mean, it's just kind of—it's kind of funny if you think about that. Um, it's almost worse than a Sunday school teacher teaching their Sunday school class, and the pastor walks in to sit down and listen. You know, you just kind of, ooh, I got to do really good right here. They didn't realize that. They didn't know that. But still, Jesus is sitting with teachers who are teaching himself about him. It's kind of ironic, kind of funny. But Jesus is learning things that his parents couldn't teach him. That's why he's there. Mary and Joseph are great. They have raised him up, and he's fixing to become a young man at age 13. They have taught him everything that they can teach him, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And that's why he's there, is he's learning things that his parents couldn't teach him. As a young man who is fully God, but yet also fully man. As a human, he put limitations on his divine abilities. He is learning God's word at this time with these teachers, think about this, with a perfect and sinless mind. What would that be like for us? Sinful people who our minds stray off, who our minds feel guilty about things we may have done, things we may be thinking, past, present, future, doesn't matter. Imagine if you could sit and listen and learn God's word with a perfect, sinless mind. Did he need to learn God's word? He understood more than we could ever under those teachers. He understood, and they were astonished. If it was beneficial for Jesus to sit and study and learn God's word, how much more important is it for us to learn God's word? This little passage, the first time Jesus speaks, the last time we have mention of Joseph, all these firsts right here in this passage, what are the important things? There's lots of important things. One of them is if Jesus needs to learn the word of God, then we need to learn the word of God. His parents, though, were astonished. I think it's kind of a lame word. I think it's kind of a tame word. I think it's too tame for what the parents probably thought. Um, if you've ever misplaced your child, I think this could also mean relieved, ticked off, confused. It can mean a lot of different things. But they use the word astonished um, because you do have the anger because of what you just went through mentally trying to find your child. Mary and Joseph trying to find Jesus. But the relief that he is okay and then Mary goes up to Jesus, and she gently 
rebukes him. She gently rebukes him. She didn't, she didn't yell at him. Um, maybe momentarily, you know, she has forgotten that he is the son of God. Are you going to correct the son of God? I mean, should you do that? So maybe he just, she kind of forgot, but she comes up and rebukes, you know, why have you done this to us? But she didn't yell at him. She just asked him a question. I think personally it's because there were pastors in the room and she didn't want to look like a bad parent. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, the pastor's here. We can't say bad words now, <laughs> okay? Oh, the pastor's here. We can't yell at our kids now, okay? Whatever. Mary goes up and releases and, and rebukes him. But more than likely, she did not yell at him or get angry at him because it was probably her character and nature. That's probably also why God chose her to be Jesus' mom. Probably because of her nature. What Mary wants, though, to happen is not what Jesus wants to happen. In verse 48, she says, why have you treated us like this? Then Jesus reminds her who he is, the misunderstood son. We talked about the missing son, the problem, the parents, the Passover. We've gone into the messianic son, the son of God. And where he was was where he needed to be. But yet Mary did not understand. He was misunderstood. Jesus replies, why? Why were you searching for me? Jesus is self-aware of who he is, but he also knows his ultimate priority. He is devoted to the things God has called him to do. And you go where your heart desires, why would he be anywhere else? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Mary's priorities and the right thing to do are different than Jesus' priorities. This is the first time, another first, okay, in this passage, the first time that Mary and Jesus see things differently. He's been a perfect son. He's been obedient. He's done what his parents asked. He's made his bed. He's cleaned his room. He's done all the things that what you perceive a perfect child to do, he has done. But this is the first time that they see things differently and they don't see eye to eye. This is the first time also that Mary sees the call of Jesus. There are going to be other times in his ministry that Mary wants something different than Jesus. This is just the first. The last would be when he's hanging on the cross. Jesus is obedient to God first. Out of his obedience to God flows his obedience to his parents. And as we finish up the passage, it says that Jesus follows them home. And then it's funny because it says Mary ponders these things in her heart. Just like after the birth of Jesus and all the chaos that ensued there when the shepherds show up and the angels and the star and the manger. In verse 19 of chapter 2, Mary pondered them all in her heart Again, with this model of obedience of God first and everything else flowing out of that, it says in verse 52 that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with both God and man. Wouldn't we all like that? For the upcoming year of 2023, wouldn't we love to grow in wisdom and stature with both God and man? 
he gives us a model right here in this passage. Obedience to God first, and let everything else, obedience, flow underneath that. But sometimes we get a mindset that is similar to Mary. We begin to think of things that Jesus should do for us, or even what he could have done for us. In Jesus' ministry, he stayed obedient to the Father, and everything else flowed out of that. When he starts his ministry some 27 years later, 17 years later, um, he could have healed more people, though, right? He could have discipled more people. He could have preached more sermons. He could have gone to more places. But his priority was to the Father, and that priority led him to the cross, where he suffered and died for you. But yet... We constantly go to Jesus and think what he should have done for us, what he should do for us now, when he gave his life for us. He's already given everything for us. So how about you? 2023 is here. Who would have thought in the year 1999 going into 2000 that we'd be in 2023? The world has not ended, contrary to popular belief, but how many things are you a part of? How many places do you need to go? How many things do you need to do? How many people do you need to see? How many demands have you placed on your shoulders that you are never going to be able to succeed at? Are you making Jesus a priority and everything else in your life flowing out of that relationship? Or is everything else in the world a priority and Jesus is getting the leftovers? Leo Tolstoy famous author, wrote a story about how much land does a man need. This man decided that he was going to become wealthy by buying land. So the story goes that he starts buying land, he starts gaining wealth. He starts buying land, he's gaining wealth. So he's like, how much land can I get? And he starts going and just buying every piece of land that he can get to where he has all this land. And then he comes on a family that has tons of land. And he wants to buy this land, and he makes a deal with them. For a 1,000 rubles, he can go out and mark the territory, outline the land from sunrise to sunset. When the sun sets, all that he has outlined becomes his. And he's like, oh, man, I can mark out a lot of land. His priorities is all on worldly, earthly things. So sunrise, set, uh, uh, sunrise happens, and the, the, the man goes out, and he's marking with a spade, and he's just he's going. But he has to get back to the point from where he started to create a circle, and then that land, everything in the circle becomes his. So he's going out, and he's like, and he's marking this land. And he's excited. He's like, oh, yeah, I can go a little bit further. He keeps going. Looks at the sun, maybe checks out his iWatch, you know, whatever. He, no, I can go. I can keep going. He keeps going, and then he realizes I may not make it back. The sun is starting to set. So he starts running and sprinting. And as he's sprinting, he's like spade. Pew, pew. And he runs and he gets all the way back. Right as the sun sets, he gets to the point, And now all the land is his. The problem is he ran so hard, his heart beat so fast that he immediately died. The land that he needed was the land that they buried him in from head to feet, about six foot. But he used all of his time on earth and everything else to acquire things in the physical world. 
how many of our priorities are things of the physical world. As we go into the new year, as we set new agendas, new desires, new dreams, new hopes, new resolutions, you may not be able to accomplish all the demands that you set for yourself, but you can accomplish everything that God has called you to do. Don't take Jesus for granted. Don't forget Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for a new year, for 2023, coming into it, and everything that, that as of right now has hopes and promises, desires, dreams. Lord, a, a reset button, a new beginning for so many people. And God, we, we do, we thank you for a new year. We thank you for the years that we've had. We thank you for the trials that you've put us through that have made us stronger. We thank you for the blessings that you've given us. But God, as we go into this new year, Lord, we pray that we would not forget about you. We pray, Lord, that we would put you first and your priorities first and your calling upon our life first. And Lord, that through that, all the remaining things, Lord, we take care of themselves. Dear God, help us to be obedient to you and to put you first as we go into this new year. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.